This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Here we are again to continue on this journey to rediscover God. We're now in Genesis 17. And so, Sasha, why don't you read that first verse and we'll jump right in. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. So there there are three aspects of this verse that are interesting. He's 99 years old. Um, and, uh, that's quite, uh, a ripe old age. I'd say so. Indeed. Like, I'm just curious, I'm looking in my Bible, how much time would have transpired between the last chapter, chapter 16, and this one? Because in the birth of Ishmael, he would have been how old? Do we know? Uh, yes. He's 86 years old. Yeah, he's 86. So this is hmm. 13 years later. Yeah. Okay, good. Good to know. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll just store that in the back of our heads as we read through this chapter. Um, the other thing is that God appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. Mm-hmm. So uh, notice that uh, the I am is used here. This is uh, will be used again when Moses interrogates the burning bush and says, whom shall I say sent me? And the voice says, tell them, I am sent mm-hmm. Right. In Hebrew, this is ego emi. And it's used 14 times by Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and so on. Right. So, uh, this this has huge implications. This is like the personal identification of, of uh, God. Mm, yeah. I'd remind you that there were many gods in Mesopotamia, and the Hebrews always identified their God as the creator God. But God identifies himself this way, I am. And later on, he will identify himself through three human beings. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's the first part, I am. And now the second part, El Shaddai. El is the generic name for God. So when you have an airline out of Israel that's called El Al, 
It means God's airline. Mm. Wow. Should be safe to fly on mm. that airline. <laughs> that depends on what you believe about God. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so Shaddai uh, implies almighty. Um, mm. He's almighty because he's going to make the impossible happen. He can do anything. He's announcing, uh, as we go further on here, that he's a 90-year-old woman is going to become pregnant. It's interesting. I never put that into that context with mm -hmm. the name and what's about to happen. Yeah. 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 Well, the story is, uh, is longer because he's El Shaddai and a virgin will conceive a child. Like these two are intimately connected. Um, the impossible pregnancy of Sarah results in Israel, and the impossible pregnancy of Mary results in Christianity, mm -hmm. the Christ child. The mm -hmm. so El Shaddai uh, is a very meaningful name in this respect. So now, the last part of this verse says, serve me faithfully, live a blameless life. Now, you know, our brains are very sophisticated uh, uh, part of us. Uh, your brain will often supply a synonym. So when it says uh, blameless, most of our brains say perfect. So here are some people who are blameless but not perfect. Uh, we'll start with Noah uh, in Genesis 6, verse 9. Uh, Warren, if you can read that, please. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time, and he walked in close fellowship with the Lord, with God. Okay, so he's blameless. Yeah. He has a problem with alcohol, but he's still blameless. Yeah, but at this, at the time that this is stated, he hadn't had that problem yet that we know of. <laughs> I'm glad you added the latter part. <laughs> um, he has another person, Job, chapter 1, verse 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Blameless man. The whole book he spends complaining about God, um, punishing him, causing him suffering. Mm -hmm. So apparently being a whiner isn't part of being blameless. So here's another one. Now, this is the biggest shocker. 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-four. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. And who's speaking? Whoa, that's uh, David's song of praise. Yeah. And the philandering, uh, warmongering king of Israel, who never misses an opportunity to get into a fight or add another beautiful woman to his harem is a blameless man 
whose hands were too bloody to build the temple? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that takes a stretch. Ephesians 5, verse 27. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. <clears throat> Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Yes, so without fault is the translation of blameless. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and then Revelation 14, verse 5. They have told no lies. They are without blame. This is talking about the 144,000. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting here is that it, it gives you a bit of an insight into what blameless means. And when it says they've told no lies, it's talking about no lies about God. So go back to David, King David. This is one of the amazing things about him is that he can celebrate God in wonderful ways. He has lots of other hang-ups, but he can celebrate God with all the emotion that's possible in a human being. And he, he can treat some people uh, as graciously as God treats us. I'm thinking now of Mephibosheth, one of Jonathan's sons, who was a grandson of Saul, and the culture of the time mandated that the new king would kill all the descendants of the previous king. But he gives him a place at his table, and he lives there as long as he wants to. So we've got one more verse to deal with, Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, now take your pencil cross out perfect, and put blameless. And you're afraid to do that because the book of Revelation says if anyone adds or changes anything, he's going to experience the seven last plagues. Yeah. That's only for the book of Revelation, not okay. for the gospel of Matthew. Safe to change this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so have a look at a parallel version of uh, Matthew 5.48 in Luke 6.36. Yes, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. That's the one. Yeah. So you can either use blameless or compassion. The whole idea of perfection was a Greek idea. The Hebrews knew nothing about it. They used the word blameless to mean that you had the right attitude. When I was a teacher, uh, I taught some brilliant kids. Um, I'm thinking of one uh, student in Malawi. Uh, I, it was a constant source of wonderment to me. I'd explain a mathematical theorem to him once, and he had it. Never needed any help after that with it. Could solve all the associated problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, he wasn't a perfect student. The perfect student is the student who makes mistakes. You show him the right way or her, and they get it, and they don't make that mistake again. Hmm. It's not perfection, but your attitude. 
Well, I saw this once in a store in Alberta. It's attitude, not aptitude, that gets you altitude. <laughs> That's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you can tell, I was quite impressed. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. Was that on a tea towel or a, a plaque <laughs> that you could hang on your wall or what? No, you know, I don't remember, but it was in a store and I just hung it in my mind. Yeah. 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 Say that again. It's not aptitude. It's attitude, not aptitude, that gets you altitude. Altitude. That's good. Yeah. So the reason that translators would use perfect there instead of blameless or compassionate is because they're thinking in transactional terms rather than relational terms. So uh, if salvation is a transaction, then you save because of you've been good enough, obedient enough of mm -hmm. some. But if it's uh, you save because in relational terms, it's because God is good enough. Makes a big difference. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. You know, good parents love uh, their obedient children, but also their disobedient children, because uh, parenting is a relational exercise. Mm -hmm. It's it's not the Santa Claus relationship where you better not be naughty, you better be nice, because Santa's coming to town. So uh, this thing about why uh, does God bless Abraham? Some people want to make Abraham out to be this loyal, obedient, unquestioning servant of God. So God rewards him with his blessings. That is not the truth. This man has all sorts of hang-ups and problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's because of the goodness of God that the blessing comes. We're on verse 2. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So this word covenant uh, is a big word for a very common practice. What some uh, covenants that you make in your life? Well, I, I made a covenant when I married my wife. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty major covenant. So uh, uh, tell me what you made when you entered into connubial bliss with this woman without using the word covenant? Well, it was a promise that I would love her till death do us part. Yes, it's a promise. Or if you want to get divorced, what are you going to undo? It's a legal agreement. So that's what the covenant is. It's a, an agreement, might be a promise. In this case, it's a promise by God. Uh, or it's an exchange of something and you agree on the terms and so on. So that's just uh, a Hebrew word for a very simple practice. The statement by the Lord when he says, I'm going to give you countless descendants, is a kind of ironic statement because Abram means father. So he says to father, Abram, I'm going to give you lots of children. Ah, well, until you realize he's 90 years, 99 years old, yeah. 
and his wife is 90 years old, and they don't have a child. Mm -hmm. so, so notice the uh, emotionally involved response of Abram in verse 3. Yeah, at this, Abram fell face down on the ground. So when last did you fall face down on the ground? Mm. Well, it's when you were learning to ride a bicycle, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right down a hill, yeah. Yeah, or learning to ski. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but and I was just thinking how um, important the names were culturally then as well. And, you know, where I know my the name meaning of my name, but I don't put a lot of thought into it, whereas I know that they did have a lot in that. So I wonder what that experience would be like growing to the age of 99 with that meaning of a name. And if there would have been some mockery in that somehow, like just sort of a dig always like, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah. You're, you're onto it. This was a huge sense of shame for. Yeah. Abraham. And was uh, relieved when he had Ishmael. But for Sarah, it was a continued source of shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's 99 years old and he can still fall face down on the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And get back up again. And get back up again. Yeah. And he didn't trip over something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This tells you that this guy is pretty agile. Mm -hmm. You know, we were missionaries in Uganda uh, many years ago, and uh, it was a remarkable sight when the traditional ruler went by. All the people would fall down on the ground. Mm. I mean, if you, they were riding a bicycle, they'd leap off the bicycle and fall on the ground face down. They the held their, their ruler in high regard. Yes. Well, it's a cultural acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? We, we don't have that here. We put bumper stickers that are so disrespectful about our prime minister that it's embarrassing. Yeah. Absolutely embarrassing. So the, the British have a, a few cultural uh, vestiges from days gone by in the way they treat the monarch. Uh, for instance, you never initiate a handshake with a right. king queen mm. in England, and you your term. Uh, we we do have some respect for judges uh, if you go to court, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not much outside of that. Um, but then let me quickly remind you that uh, what's the name of the pop star that's so influential right now, American. Um, there's lots. Taylor Swift is one. Uh, Taylor Swift. Okay. Okay, so how do Taylor Swift's fans um, show their appreciation, their reverence for her, whatever you want to call it? I don't know. I haven't been at a concert, but I'm pretty sure they're yelling and screaming out her name and throwing their arms in the air, like just cheering. <laughs> they know. pay a fortune to get there. <laughs> to begin with, they sign in. up for a lottery to get a chance to get a <laughs> ticket. 
there you go. Uh, and then uh, they'll line up hours ahead of time uh, and wait for her to show up eventually. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not that we don't have uh, ways of doing this physically, mm -hmm. financially, and emotionally. It's, it's just culturally that's uh, it's conditioned what's mm -hmm. acceptable and what isn't. So I used to have a, an avid sports fan in my congregation at uh, in Johannesburg, and he would throw things at the TV and yell at it. Uh, <laughs> and then he'd come to church and never squeak. And uh -huh. I used to always enjoy taking the mickey out of him. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I should should I be embarrassed about that? Probably I should. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to have some fun too. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, verse four, with the introduction, then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Okay. Now, notice um, that there's a change here uh, in the name for God. It changes from Lord capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to God. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Yahweh, or Lord in caps, is the personal name of God. And it now switches to God, uh, which is sort of, um, it, it's not as generic as L, but it's not as strong as the Lord title. And it hmm. continues for the rest of the chapter. I'm not sure if there's any significance in this. Uh, I just happened to notice it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, verse verse one starts out with the the capital Lord. Yeah, appeared to him, and then it switches to God. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe one of you will come up with some uh, enlightenment for me as we go along. Uh, we're on verse 5. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, which is father of many, for you will be the father of many nations. Okay, so there's a subtle change here. Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of many. It's not uh, a huge change, but it does in indicate the uh, plurality of his descendants. They're going to be lots of them. It's now, interesting to me of what would have happened had he been patient. Uh, had he, you know, told Sarah, you know, I don't think that this is how it's going to happen. I think I'm going to just wait on God on this one. And this idea that his name meant exalted father, I mean, it's like, I know his parents named him and it wasn't necessarily God naming him, but, you know, the idea of what, what that could have felt like for him if he had waited and then become a father with Sarai, what that feeling would have been like. And it reminds me so much of how many times I miss out 
on the absolute joy that could come if I were to trust him fully and what, you know, that blessing could feel like. Yeah. Yeah. What an awesome story that would have been to be able to tell our kids about had he lived up to his name and trusted God. So a name change in the Bible is always indicative of a character change. Jacob is changed to Israel, uh, Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus Christ, Saul to Paul, a new name is promised to overcomers in Revelation 2 verse 17. Amen. <clears throat> and a name indicates belonging. You know, uh, when I say uh, my name's Ian Hartley, um, that Hartley indicates where I belong or where I came from. And I don't know what to do with women who change their names when they get married. Uh, sounds like uh, I now belong to this male. Do women really want to say that for the rest of their lives? My identity is in this. <laughs> I know. I really liked my name. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking at the story, and and you know, you've just said that a name change is indicative of a change of character. Mm -hmm. And and God just tells him in verse two, I will guarantee to give you countless descendants and abram falls to the ground in submission to this statement instead of arguing with god and maybe that's the change of his character that god is recognizing by giving him a new name so i'm quickly running through what i know of abram and did he stop arguing with god after this uh, not really, because we come to Sodom and Gomorrah and this great uh, debate about how many people need to be righteous in order to save the city. But his arguing was to defend God's character, not his own. Okay, good. I yeah. know when I've lost. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> A name in the Bible uh, indicates character. Revelation 14 verse 1. Just backing this up, Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In contrast, uh, you have in chapter 13, verse 17, since you're there, Warren, if you can read 13, 17, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So you, you see how these names are representative of the character, hmm. uh, these symbols, symbolic names. So this word Abram, uh, which is actually a combination of three Hebrew letters, uh, Aleph, Beit, Num means a father of the native country. So Abram meant the father of Ur. is changed to Abraham, which indicates the father of the whole world. You, we're on verse 6. 
I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all claim Abraham uh, as their spiritual origin. This means that there are almost 4 billion people on the planet who claim allegiance to Abraham and the Lord who called him to a special relationship. Mm -hmm. That's half the world's population. Abraham was ignorant of this future when he died. How surprised he will be on the resurrection morning when God mm -hmm. says to him, you know, you never really believed me. You said you did. But listen, look at all these people, all yeah. these people that you can't count or your mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. I can see him falling on his face. <laughs> Once again. Yeah. We're on verse 7 and 8. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. From generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you live as a where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants it will be their possession forever and i will be their god okay uh, you, you understand now why jews feel that they have some right to live in israel mm -hmm. yes how long is this going to last for generation to generation this is an everlasting covenant mm -hmm. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I'll give you the entire land of Canaan. So this will actually only be true on the new earth. Look what's happened. The Syrians carried off northern tribes in 700 BC. And the Babylonians carried off the southern tribes in 600 BC. A few came back with the blessing of Cyrus in 500 BC and rebuilt the city and the temple. Then the Romans destroyed the city and dispersed the Jews in 70 AD. And no Jewish state existed until 1947 AD. Now, what's even more interesting to me is there are about 15 million Jews in the world. And this population seems to remain pretty much constant. I don't know why it's remarkable. And and they don't seem to go beyond 15 million. You know, 5 million live in Israel right now, and about 5, 10 million live in New York. So we're really waiting for the second coming and the new earth for this uh, covenant promise to be realized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dear God, thank you for seeing us in our need and for coming to us and giving us your promises. And thank you uh, for what you promised Abram, who later became Abraham, and who will one day be surprised at the fulfillment of your promise to him on the new earth. And you have promised that we will sit with you on your throne and minister to the vast, unending universe in days to come. You're wonderful in the way you see us, the potential you see in us. 
your trust in us, your faith in us. And when we think of these things, the noble thoughts within us are stirred and come to life. And we thank you for your life truly awakens us to a new life. We worship you. Amen. 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 You can find the recording of our podcast on our website, uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using, so you can follow along or at least see all the passages. And so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca, and on there there is the um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful, and we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. Um, it's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, we share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.